0: we going to read from Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, beginning in verse 26. And if you're able, I invite you to stand as we come to attention and, and listen prayerfully to Jesus' words. Jesus also said, the kingdom of God is as if someone would scatter seed on the ground and would sleep and rise night and day, and the seed would sprout and grow. He does not know how. The earth produces of itself, first the stalk." then the head, then the full grain in the head. But when the grain is ripe, at once he goes in with his sickle, because the harvest has come. He also said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable will we use for it? It is like a mustard seed, which when sown upon the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes the greatest of all shrubs, and puts forth large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them except in parables, but he explained everything in private to his disciples. May God bless this word to our hearts. You may be seated. Well, I love this time of year. It's probably my favorite time of year—late uh, May, early part of June. Everything is so green. Everything is growing. Everything is beautiful, lush, and and uh, pretty. As we were driving to North Missouri last Sunday, uh, had the opportunity to see the crops as they were uh, growing. Got to see the trees. Got to see the full ponds and. Uh, to see the flowers on, uh, around every house, and just a beautiful time of year. It's as if creation is uh, so alive and, and so giving and so uh, mysterious in, in what it produces with green and beautiful and luscious things. It's just a beautiful, beautiful time of year. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, how many agricultural and horticultural images are in Scripture, now, uh, I don't have time to mention all of them. I don't even pretend to know all of them, but think about scriptures like Psalm 126, those who sow in tears will reap with joy. Think about Jesus' words in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus in, in Matthew 9, uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Think about the Apostle Paul's words in Galatians five twenty two and 23, my life verse. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and, and so forth. And, and, and so many verses of Scripture talk about uh, or, or use the image of growth or trees or crops uh, because that's an image we can all relate to. And maybe especially this time of year with such a wet spring. And then there is the Scripture that I read just a moment ago from Mark's Gospel, uh, chapter 4. Uh, a man goes forth and, and scatters seed on the ground. Then he goes to bed and he gets up the next day and he repeats that cycle and kind of forgets about it. And then he doesn't know how, but there's this sprout and there's this growth and there's this, this head uh, on the stalk. And then there's this, this harvest time that comes and it's all so mysterious. It's as if uh, we, we underestimate the miraculous power of life that's packed inside a seed it begins with germination, granted, in the ground. In the depths of the earth, there's a mystery. And then there's all these things that happen. You know, how does, how does corn get from that? It starts with a seed, then it gets to that, and then it goes to this. Uh, the corn that's tasseled out, the tassels provide the germination. Uh, the corn uh, ear begins to fill, and then it ends up with that. It started as a seed in the ground that died. Then it was corn about knee-high, then it was corn taller than you are, and then there is this rich, luscious, sweet uh, grain that comes from it that feeds the world. How, how does that happen? It's, it's actually a miracle happening right before our eyes all the time. And I can guarantee you this, in order to be a farmer, you have to have an imagination. In order to be a farmer, you have to believe that what you put in the ground is someday going to be knee-high, someday going to be taller than you, and someday going to yield a harvest. You can't farm without an imagination. You can't garden without an imagination. You have to have an imagination to believe that that new thing is going to happen. Well, it's the same about the Christian life. It takes imagination to follow Jesus. To really believe that as you commit your life to Him, that there will be growth and change. It takes imagination to be a part of a church, to believe that what we're doing in Kenya and at South Elementary and in this community and sharing faith with neighbors really makes a difference. It takes faith to do kingdom work. It takes imagination to do kingdom work, to envision something different than what is And you will recognize, of course, that as James shared his testimony and as I mentioned, the theme for our visioning process is imagine if. It takes imagination to be a part of a congregation dreaming about the future and where God wants us to go. It's all so important. Uh, One of the strange paradoxes of creation is this, that the that the seed has to die in the ground before it can sprout to life. Everything you see, every plant you see, every tree you see, began in death. You ever think about that? That's what germination is. It, grows into the, it goes into the ground, and in the depths of the earth it dies. So every living thing that you see growing begins with death. And so it is for us that we, spiritually, have to come to the end of ourselves. We have to come to the place of saying that we can't manage our lives. You know, um, we have to get over this notion that following Jesus begins by simply rearranging a few of our bad habits. That following Jesus is simply about uh, changing our Sunday habit or our Sunday hobby. That following Jesus is just a matter of crossing some things off of our self-improvement list. Following Jesus is much deeper than that. Following Jesus is about dying. It's about dying to the old and being, risen, being raised to the new. That's what repentance is. It's coming to the end of ourselves and saying, I can't do this anymore. I'm not supposed to do this anymore. I need new life. And every step of the Christian journey is a matter of acknowledging that something in us has to die so that something else can live. You know, those who research and track these matters have told us that there is a number one reason why, why people start going to church if they have not been going to church. Now, I'm not talking about who invites them uh, because obviously they come best when they are invited, but, but the reason inside them Uh, In surveys far and wide, the number one factor in what makes people change their personal habits and start coming to church, you know what it is? A personal crisis. A personal crisis is what makes people... Now, it might be a good crisis, like the birth of a child, or it might be a very negative one, like the loss of a job, or a loss of a sense of personal significance. But a personal crisis. Death has to come before life can come. There is that germination process. The the man goes out, he scatters the seed on the ground, and then he just goes on about his business. I also like this parable that Jesus told because, um, as someone has pointed out, this parable deals with the question, who's in charge around here? You ever think about that? This parable deals with the question, who's in charge around here? both applied to our lives and to our church. Who's in charge around here? Certainly not the farmer. He just scattered the seed and then forgot about it and slept and ate and, and got up and slept and ate and over and over again. We're not in charge. See, the parable is dealing with the fact that something happens that only God can do. He scattered the seed. He slept night and day. The seed began to sprout and to grow, and in verse 28 says, the earth produces of itself, first the stalk, then the head, then the full grain. And that, that phrase, the earth produces by itself, listen to the Greek word for by itself. Automate, automate, from which we get our word automate or automatic. The grain produces of itself. The earth produces of itself Automate. That is to say that God does what we cannot do. And that's an invitation for us to step back and to acknowledge we're not in charge of our own lives or of this church. To step back and give God room to work. To step back and acknowledge that we're not calling the shots. To trust God's timing to trust God's providence, to to trust God's sovereignty, that God is working in the way God wants to work. And let me ask you this morning, are you there? Are you able to really take the issues in your life and trust God with them? Are you able to believe that God is the master gardener and He knows best about timing in your life? He knows best about what's happening between the sowing and the harvesting. He knows what's happening as the, as the fruit ripens. Are you able to trust God? Trust God's timing? Turn things over to Him? And have you dropped the notion that you're calling the shots? That you're in charge? And have you acknowledged that God sovereignly is in charge? I also wonder as I read this wonderful parable how this story impacted the first Christians, the early church, as Jesus told it and as they repeated it to early believers. And then the next parable too that he tells about the seed, the tiny little mustard seed that is dropped in the ground and then becomes the largest shrub around in Jesus' time so large the birds can perch in it and build nests. I wonder how that struck the early church. Because remember, they were tiny. They were insignificant. The Roman government loomed large. The Roman Empire was calling all of the shots, seemingly. And the Roman government either ignored the Christians as an irrelevance or it persecuted them as a bother. And here Jesus tells these two parables about horticulture, about growing things, to say, we may be tiny, but God is up to something. We may appear to be insignificant, just like a seed is insignificant, but God is growing something and God is doing something. There is a power in the seed that is unleashed in God's timing And the world may not recognize it, but God knows. Uh, I read the story of a theologian who was invited back in the 1970s to speak at a futuring conference. Everybody in the 70s uh, was reading um, Alvin Toffler's book, Future Shock. Some of you who've been around a while will remember that book. Scary stuff about all the change that was coming to the world and how change was going to be the norm, and we've seen that played out. But this theologian was invited uh, to speak last. They had social scientists, sociologists, cultural critics. They had all kinds of important people speaking, and they were predicting what the future was going to be like in 1985 and 1995 and 2005 and 2030, and they were making all these predictions, and this theologian got up, for the closing address and here's what he said. He said, I have no idea what the future holds. I only know that it will be held in the hands of God. It will be held in the hands of God. And that theologian interestingly enough was going through some old yellowed uh, speech notes and some old files not long ago. And he found his speech and he found all the other speeches and he said, you know what? I was the only one there who was right. I was the only one there who was right. All the others were wrong. You don't know how it grows. It just sprouts. First the stalk, then the head, then the full grain. Tiny little mustard seed, then it grows into something big, but it all takes time. I have a friend. We'll call him Chip I was his pastor in another city. Chip came to faith in Christ very dramatically. And he wanted to share Jesus with everybody. And he started to share Jesus with one of his co-workers one day. And the co-worker cut him off and said, Save it. Stop. I don't want to hear that blank. And the blank was a naughty word. And Chip, my friend, said, Okay, that's fine. They continued their friendship, they worked together, they traveled together for their job. One day in their travels, Chip said to his friend, I don't want to offend you, I don't want to turn you off, but I made a promise to some sisters and brothers in Christ that at 11 o'clock today, we were going to pray about a specific matter. He said, so I'm going to go in the other room and pray and keep my promise. And the friend said, that's fine, appreciate you letting me know. The friend got a little inquisitive about uh, Chip being so committed to promises like that and sort of tucked it away in his mind. Well, a lot of time went on. And finally, as you might guess, Chip's friend came himself to be a follower of Jesus. He came to trust Christ as his Lord and Savior. And do you know, it was 12 years, 12 years from the time Chip's friend said, I don't want to hear that blank, to the time he opened his life to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Twelve years. You sow the seed. First there's the stalk. Then there's that head of grain. Then there is that harvest. But it's all in God's time. I want to introduce you to a Baptist hero that you may not know but need to get to know. This is Dr. Glenn Stassen. He died a year ago, April. I got to meet him and hear him speak in Kansas City not many years ago. By the way, he's the son of uh, the Stassen who ran for president several times. Uh, And uh, he himself, Dr. Glenn Stassen, was a theologian, an ethicist, a wonderful follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, He was actually instrumental in the nuclear disarmament talks that were successful around the time that the Cold War ended. He was so committed to peace. As a Baptist, he was so committed to justice. He was so committed to finding ways for people to live reconciliation that he, that he was actually instrumental, even by secular politicians' description in, in some of that, some of those disarmament negotiations. The other thing that he became deeply involved in was uh, the Berlin Wall coming down. He had friends in Germany on both sides of the Berlin Wall. And uh, He told us at the meeting at which I met him, he said, you know, the secular press only tells part of the story that the fall of communism and the fall of the Berlin Wall was all about politicians and diplomats uh, doing their thing. But he said, what they don't recognize is that in East Berlin, all the time they were under communist rule, the only public place adults were allowed to gather was church. And he said the churches of East Berlin would meet and pray, and sometimes they would meet and protest, and they would follow the gospel as God gave them direction. And Glenn Stassen was actually in Germany uh, near the time of that dramatic destruction and crumbling of the Berlin Wall and the fall of communism. And God used him in a great way. Now, I've told you about this Baptist hero because... I wanted to tell you this. He told us at the conference at which I attended, his life motto. You know what his life motto was? All we have are mustard seeds. He said that's all we have. We don't have power, we don't have influence, we don't have political clout. All we have are mustard seeds. But God can use the mustard seeds and unleash incredible power. God can use the gospel to change the course of nations. All we have are mustard seeds. But it's enough. It's enough. During World War II, a church in London was getting ready for a harvest celebration. They um, prepared the altar with a sheaf of corn Uh, that they were going to dramatically talk about uh, in Sunday service. But it's a service they never had because the church was bombed and completely destroyed. Several months later, in warmer weather, some people noticed that there were shoots of green corn growing where the church had once stood. Bombs couldn't kill the seed. Bombs couldn't kill the seed because the seed contained power, it contained mystery, it contained miracle, it contained imagination and potential, and the seeds contain the sovereign God's promise that His kingdom will come on earth as it is in heaven. The seeds contain the life of God, and that's what we have. All we have are mustard seeds, but it's enough enough.